calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm your host, S.E. Fleenor, and I'm here with your other host. My name is Sarah Century. Longtime listeners will be aware of that, but... I thought you were going to say you were a longtime listener. <laughs> I'm a longtime listener. First time being the... No, none of those things. I am not a first time person of Bitches on Comics. However... <laughs> We are here with a first-time person of Bitches on Comics. P.S. Awkward intros. It's how we roll. But it's the brand. It's where we're at at this point. But we are here with Natasha Altarisi. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having wild. There is no crowd. I'm alone in my study. Uh, but in my heart, there's a crowd. My cats are excited. Good. I'm so glad. <laughs> My dog is misbehaving. Um, you know, I think that's excitement. Sure. So, Natasha, you want to tell us, our, our listeners, just a little bit about yourself, what it is you do in the wide world of nerddom. And, uh, yeah, I think that's enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm Natasha Alterisi. I am a writer and an artist, uh, mostly doing comics. I do kind of other stuff when I feel like it. I'm really into making zines these days, which allows me to obsess over whatever random thing I'm on at the moment. And then uh, I also, you probably are most familiar with my book, Heathen, uh, from Vault Comics, soon to be a major motion picture. Yeah, so that's me, mostly. <laughs> I'm very excited about this uh, soon to be a major motion picture. Mm -hmm. We'll come back to it. <laughs> I do want to start with talking a little bit about how you got into comics. So were you reading them as a kid? What was your, like, breakthrough comic, the comic that made you just like, oh, I love this genre, must do it? Uh, no, I, I didn't get to read comics as a kid. Um, I grew up in the middle of nowhere where there were no comic shops. Um, I think I probably also grew up with the notion that comics are, like, for boys. Um, the first comic I actually read was in college. My uh, Comp 1 professor was into, you know, having us read as many kinds of literature as we could. So we read Mouse. Uh, which, of course, is super influential graphic novel. If you haven't read it, what are you waiting for? Go read it. 
And then after that, I just started picking up stuff wherever I could. I think I read like, you know, Watchmen and V for Vendetta and then Persepolis and then Saga and just all kinds of stuff. Uh, I'm really into like indie stuff these days. Yeah. Well, you're certainly in good company. We we really do love an indie comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those ones you named, like Mouse, Persepolis, obviously the Alan Moore starter pack. Mm-hmm. Like, all of that is absolutely how I got started in comics, too. I, I also was like a, I guess, later reader of comics. Sarah's been reading comics since her little eyeballs opened, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yes. She's just like, oh, look, show me a comic. Um, that's my impression of Sarah as a baby. <laughs> that is an accurate impression. <laughs> Out the womb with a comic in hands. <laughs> it really was, yeah. <laughs> Sarah's parents were like, this is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so did you draw as a child then? Were, were doodles like a part of your work or were you into art or? Oh yeah, I've always been an artist, I think probably first. Uh, just sketching and drawing like my whole life. Little dinosaurs and the Lion King. I always like to draw Simba and stuff. And um I started writing stories too, just kind of here and there, just for fun. But I don't think I ever really thought of myself as an artist until I started working on Heathen, which was just an excuse to try to draw a comic that I wanted to draw and not have to like pair up with somebody else, you know, which is, you know, selfish, I guess. But it was fun. I loved it. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think to good end, right? Like (laughs) that worked out pretty well. (laughs) Seems to have worked out, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I really love the art style. It's like so distinctive. And then also to me, there's maybe some echoes of like Eddie Campbell and Sankowicz and stuff. I really appreciate Mm -hmm. the way that it, particularly I think in Heathen, the line work is such a part of that book that I can't even imagine another artist on it. So I think that it's such a interesting self-defined piece. So yeah, that wasn't really a question, but... No, I get it. No, the the sketchy style is really, I think that that kind of harbors back to my like fine art training. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with comics. I didn't have a particular look in mind for what a comic should be. So I was just sort of, you know, drawing the way I like to draw, um, pulling from artists, you know, from the fine arts world that I already, you know, knew and admired. And uh, so that, that kind of, I think, heavily influenced the look of the book. And I'm kind of curious about the timeline, because I know a lot of your work, but I feel like I have been only reading it for maybe the last like year or two. Mm -hmm. So I know it, but I don't really know like what the progression was. So Heathen was not your first book at all, right? There was comics that you did the art for before that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Heathen wasn't my first, but it was one of my first. I did a short comic with a local writer, Tim Barry, uh, called Lucid, which we did one issue for. We kickstarted it and it turned out really well. It was very experimental and interesting kind of sci-fi story. And then uh, I did a second series with another local writer, Jackson Compton, called Illustrated Girl, um, where I drew the first two issues for that. Um, and then, you know, things didn't end up working out for the rest of the series, but we got those two issues and I'm so super proud of how those turned out. But again, it was just like more finding my style, finding like a way to draw that, uh, I think was really valuable. Yeah. So Heathen was like actually really way early in your career. Okay. Awesome. And is ongoing, right? Like it has the story come to a close yet? It has now come to a close. The, the last volume, uh, we ended up bringing in Ashley Woods, who is an incredibly talented artist Mm. to draw the last volume for me because I was unable to. Um, but that is now where the story has concluded. Issues one, one through 12. (laughs) Yeah. If you're going to find somebody else, I think Ashley Woods, like, oh my God, it's incredible. 
What was that process like, kind of working with an artist and being on maybe the flip side? Uh, it was definitely like a different kind of side of things. Um, I think it, it taught me to be a better writer because previously, like my, my early scripts for Heathen, like the first issue, most of the panel like descriptions are very vague, um, you know, because I'm just I'm just directing myself, basically. I'm like, you know what to draw, just do the thing um, <laughs> with very little, very little details. Uh, so for the issues that I wrote for Ashley to draw, I had to, I had to like really think about it and be clear. I was like, I can't like leave anything out. I can't, you know, or I also can't like be too controlling because, you know, she's an artist. She knows what she's doing. I don't want to be too much of a, like, you know, this is the way I see it happening. (laughs) Like I needed to trust her vision as well and what she could bring to it. Um, and I think, I think we ended up striking a really good balance at the end there. Turned out really good. This is so exciting. I'm so excited <laughs> to read the rest of it. Did you always want to do a story that was based in Norse mythology or how did you come into Norse mythology? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't have any like particular interest in mythology, like of any variety. Um, it was purely an aesthetic thing at first. The earliest versions of Heathen, the story was listed in the back of the book. My friends um, invited me to go to the Ren Fair with them. Um, and they were all going to dress up as various winches and stuff. And I did not want to dress up as a winch. I wanted to dress up as some kind of a warrior. And I ended up designing a costume for myself that didn't look too unsimilar to what Adis's costume ends up being. And even after, you know, we went to the Ren Fair, I, I kept drawing the, the design, like trying to per- perfect it. But then it sort of kind of evolved into a character. And then I was like, you know, I should explore this a little further. I should see like what her world is. And that's kind of what led me into learning about Norse mythology. I was like, she's kind of got a Viking look to her. Let's let's explore that. Let's see what, what where it goes. And, you know, I, I don't regret that at all. That was a good little uh, brainworm to entertain. <laughs> that's so funny to me because I'm just like, is that the first comic that was inspired by like <laughs> the outfit at a Ren Fair? Because it can't be, right? Like that must have already happened, but we just don't know about it. I'm sure. I don't I don't think maybe the other artists aren't brave enough to admit that that's where their idea <laughs> came from, but I bet it I bet it has happened before. <laughs> oh man. I have almost no history with Ren Fairs. Was that something that you went to a lot or was this like brand new stuff? <laughs> that was literally the one and only time I ever went to the Ren Fair. Gotcha. Yeah, I've been to like, you know, like regular like crafts fairs like all the time I used to go, but this was the first like, you know, themed one. Um, and I, ha- I haven't really done any since, which I kind of regret that I would love to go again once uh, once things are not, you know, dangerous outside. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Mm. I don't even know. Like, especially because it's like, like seasonal, right? So you can mm-hmm. only go certain times of the month. I went to the, I only went to one as well. And it was perhaps one of the most awkward experiences of my life because I was going with a couple who at first were really stoked to go and then they were arguing for like oh, no. most of it. So I just felt like a weird, like little kid who was like tagging on. And then also it's just kind of funny to see people in Ren Fair costumes like mm-hmm. argue with each other. <laughs> Listen, I digress, but <laughs> my friends were much chiller. Cool. Yeah, no, and it's not, I want to go back, you know, like I feel like I didn't quite get the experience. Um <laughs> 
kind of give another try. At least go get your turkey leg or whatever, a, a funnel cake <laughs> or something. Watch some people throw axes. That's fun. <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot that they have axe throwing. <laughs> yeah. I got to do a little bit of it in my costume. It was fun. Oh, my God. See, I am a baby, and that's why maybe I don't go to Ren Fairs or something. <laughs> Although I do like whenever I go and, like, there, there's, like, uh, somebody playing a weird outdoors pipe organ, dressed like a plague doctor or, like, whatever, <laughs> you know. You're just like, I don't know if this actually works like timing wise or theme wise, but you know what? You look great. I love this sound. Um, <laughs> it works. It works. <laughs> Whenever you're doing art, do you listen usually to music or podcasts or like what's kind of the thing that goes on while you're working on stuff? Oh, I always have to have background noise. I'm usually either listening to music or I've got like a playlist of like YouTube videos or some show or something going on in the background. Lately, I've been just watching all kinds of like leftist, like bread to be kind of YouTube videos mm -hmm. and then just like expanding my Spotify playlists like infinitely. I like to make playlists for like specific projects I'm working on. Yeah, see, this was yeah. my next question is, is there a heathen playlist? There is not. I didn't have one at the time. I literally just listened to, you know, whatever music I had on my phone. Uh, I didn't I didn't have Spotify back then, but I could probably make one. I could like retroactively make a heathen playlist. Now I want to. <laughs> oh, I, I am like signing up for it already. Like I will listen to that all of the time. I listen to a lot of like horror soundtracks and stuff whenever I'm Ooh, working. <laughs> that's good. I really love the music for The, the Ring, the American version oh, of The yeah. Ring. Oh, yeah. But they don't sell like a soundtrack for it. So I just like play the movie. I'll just like play yeah. it over and over and just listen to those cellos and stuff. I'm like, that's amazing. <laughs> I've been here exactly what you're describing. <laughs> I have done that many times because a lot of times it's kind of, it's like, I don't know. I love like a lot of movies from like back in the day. So you'll be like, oh, I don't know how to find this soundtrack that was for a movie from Japan and like the... <laughs> 50s or whatever right. and so you just watch the movie again <laughs> yeah I'm like that'll do I guess you watch I it guess. enough times you don't have to actually watch you can just listen it's fine it's not distracting <laughs> Essie did you have some questions about heathen yes of course yes I was I was waiting for the uh music listening to during art <laughs> conversation to wrap yes yeah so something that really stood out to me about heathen that is both textual and art-based, which is the same thing in comics, <laughs> which is that it's a very sexy comic, but it's not a salacious comic. Like, really? we see Freya's breasts, like, pretty much every panel she's in, except for, like, two where she's crossing her arms because she's pissed <laughs> off. And you're just like, I love you, you're perfect. But, you know, so much of comics, when we show naked women or we show naked people with breasts, they're so sexualized. Or if we show them even clothed with breasts. I mean, I'm thinking of Power Girl. You know, like, the breasts are, like, huge and it's just <laughs> weird. And, hey, I love huge boobies. If you got huge boobies, do whatever you want with them. I'm happy <laughs> for you. But, you know, it, it feels like it's not a bell curve of breast size in comics. That's how I'll put it. Right. And I feel like what we saw in, in your comics so much was— Body diversity was even gender diversity in getting to see Freya's fluidity. But then also just like, oh, look, people can be like not clothed very much. And that isn't actually sexy. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, the warriors, that moment. Oh, my God. When she's like, oh, we don't wear armor because that shows you're tough. And all like the, the badass sailors are like, damn it. That's <laughs> really fucking cool. Like, <laughs> 
I'm just so curious about how you developed that that style there around that, why you love to draw so many different kinds of people, and like why why are boobies so weird to people? That's another <laughs> I want you to answer. <laughs> Tasha, I want you on the record to tell me why everyone's weird about boobies. That's yeah. This we is, want to that's know. the main question. This is the question for me to answer for all yeah. mankind. <laughs> Hey, it is not often that I get to have a couple of lesbians on a call. I want both of you to answer this question for me, okay? Yay! As a pansexual person, I need to know. (laughs) Gotta explain ourselves. I just want to thank you for giving people with big boobs permission to do whatever they want with them. Because I was like noted as he is cool with me doing whatever I want with my boobs. And I was like, Permission granted. I have been waiting for the heads up. And so thank you. (laughs) I give it to you. I give it to all of our listeners. Do what you want with your titties. Thank you. Goodness. I don't even remember what I'm supposed to answer now. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So it was about... About boobies. <laughs> it came yes. about boobies, but it was also about <laughs> uh, body diversity and drawing yeah. characters who have breasts in ways that aren't super sexualized and aren't there <laughs> to to you know titillate. But on ha I think that probably it's it's twofold. I think for me, at least with Heathen, I'm just trying to like put myself back into the mindset of when I was working on it. But I think it's a twofold thing. It's a one, it's um it's a background in fine arts where I had three or four different figure drawing classes where literally, you know, every other day you come to class and there's a naked person standing in the middle of the room and like a dozen people around them and you're just drawing them all day and it's just chilling, you're chatting and everybody's fine and there's nothing sexual about it. You're just studying the body and like how it moves and how it is put together, right? Um, which has always been something that's fascinating to me, you know, um, as far as like an art subject, just like the human body in general. Uh, so that's one part of it. And, uh, you know, I do, I do think that there's something inherently unsexual about it, right? Like that's just, that's just the body that people have. It's, you know, what they're doing with it that, that makes it sexual, or at least that's how I think it should be. Right. And then secondly, for Freya specifically, I think it was really important for me to show her as as being completely comfortable and like unthreatened by anybody because she's a god, right, who is in love with just everybody that she meets. So it was really important for me to depict her in a way that was at the same time like sexy, but not like not threatening in any way and not like she is is threatened in any way. Like, because normally if you see a naked woman, you know, she's either about to do something sexy or she's about to have something sexy done to her without her permission or something, right? So yeah, I wanted to avoid that, especially with this goddess character. You know, there's there's no way she would either do or or have done to her, you know, uh, unless it's 100% within her consent or uh, the person she's with consenting. So that was, that was the biggest part of it for me, I think. Yeah. Well, that really syncs up with her whole storyline and like her mission, right? Like she takes the Valkyrie and she's like, oh, I don't want to go kill a bunch of dudes. Let's have an orgy all the time. And, you know, I would also worship that God is all that I am <laughs> saying about that. But it's it's so nice. It's so, to see her so filled with hope and to see her so powerful in her her sexiness is so delightful. I feel like we don't get to see a lot of women or gender fluid goddesses, gods get to do their thing that way. Mm -hmm. It feels much more like a masculine, like, oh, 
the strong man is here and he will be manly. <laughs> and like her strength is in her her femininity and her fluidity, right? And mm-hmm. and I think that's such a a beautiful piece of the narrative. It, it's it's such a contrast, right, to Brunhild who's being punished through mm-hmm. some kind of love relationship mm-hmm. thing. And it's an interesting contrast to Adis, who is, you know, just on the burgeoning edge of her her sexuality, just mm-hmm. figuring it all out. And even though she's, you know, not wearing a lot of clothing, it's not sexual. I feel like even in the slightest for me, like I don't get any super sexy vibes, except for like when mm-hmm. she's kissing people. And then I'm like, <laughs> she's kissing ladies. Makes me very happy. So I just, I love the way that those narratives reflect one another and and how they sort of contrast. And I'm curious why you chose to focus on love, relationships, and and connectedness in in this kind of narrative where it's, you know, we've got sort of three main characters. They're all experiencing it differently. They're mm-hmm. all experiencing each other differently. Why why was love and relationships so important to that? Well, um I knew, you know, once I once I started exploring the character a little bit and exploring the mythology, I knew I knew a couple things. I said, if I'm going to write this for myself, then I want the main character to be someone like myself. I want them to be a queer woman, young woman who wants to, you know, do the best good that she can in the world, right? And I stumbled upon the story of Brynhild. She's <laughs> cursed by Odin because of her disobeying of him and uh, is forced to then, you know, marry whoever frees her from the fire. And it felt like such a such a just like a, a perfect little microcosm of like patriarchy, right? Um, that like she has no control over herself. She's once this this very powerful leader of the Valkyrie, uh, the kind of person that would strike fear into men's hearts. And now she must be made subservient to a man, a man not of her choosing. And just that story was so like striking to me. And I thought it would resonate really well with Adis if that was a story that she grew up with, like hearing that that would be a story interesting to her. And so I wanted to, you know, bring them together. That was like the first step. And then after that, Freya was just kind of a natural like next step for it because, you know, she's exploring those. She kind of like overlaps those same themes of love and like duty and, uh, you know, being cursed by, you know, a, a system that you have no control over. Yeah, like, so there was all these overlapping elements that just kind of like, the more I read up on it, and the more I kind of like wrote little scenes and stuff, the more it just, it just fell into place, you know, I was like, this is, this is what it is. This is the central theme here is these women and and their, their relationship to relationships. Yeah, I read in an interview, I think it was your interview with The Hollywood Reporter, mm-hmm. where someone, I think the question was about something about the love relationships. And you were surprised that people were really invested in who Adis was going to end up with, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't really what you had envisioned. And I'm curious for you why, I think I know, but I want to hear you say it, (laughs) why you resisted that sort of coupling narrative of the like, oh, she's got to be with, you know, either Brunhild or Freya or, you know, a mermaid or one of the pirates or, or, or. Instead, you know, that's not what her arc is. And mm-hmm. I'm curious why you wanted to resist that. It was really important for me to kind of leave Adis's story kind of open-ended a little bit because, you know, the beginning of her story is about her being punished for, you know, expressing a little bit of, you know, attraction uh, expressing some kind of love. And so I, I wanted her to be able to have a journey where she could see that love was still a possibility for her. Um, that, you know, 
meeting and being with all kinds of people is not like outside of, you know, her reach, even after being banished from her, from her village. It was very important to me that I didn't just nail her down with somebody, especially because she's supposed to be young. You know, she's supposed to be like a teenager, basically. I don't like the idea of in like young adult books and stuff when like teenagers are like they're in love and that's how the book ends. It always kind of rubs me the wrong way. I'm like, you're babies. You don't know what love is. Hold on. <laughs> I was like, just 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 give yourself a minute. <laughs> you have more life to live. <laughs> yes, I highly identify with that. I'm always watching TV shows like they're 20. Why would they be getting married? <laughs> Yeah, I just I really wanted her to know that, um, you know, I just wanted the world to open up for her, I guess. That's what I wanted. And uh, I think that that's a more hopeful message than than her finding somebody rather, you know, her just finding like that, you know, the opportunity is there that is within her reach. And it seems to me paired with the other narratives or, you know, tripled with the other narratives. I don't know how you say three. <laughs> Braided with the other narratives, let's yeah. say. There we go. I'm like, That's what good. has three? Braided with the other narratives. It seems to me that there's a message here that is about love, romantic, platonic. I'm just going to call it that for lack of a better term, folks. Mm-hmm. Familial. They're all shades of something similar. Mm-hmm. That's the other piece that I really see you pushing on here. Mm-hmm. And, and And there's something important about Adis not ending up in a relationship. You know, it's it's important that where Frigga, you know, goes to take care of Odin, what an unsurprising turn after their tough narrative, you know, and, and Brunhild, I won't spoil all of them, goes on to her narrative. That's not what Adis needs. And I think that what I see in that is, is so often the way queer people are portrayed is, and Sarah and I talk about this all the time, is like, oh, there's two queer characters. They end up together. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's the only thing that can happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have married every other queer person I have ever met. Therefore, <laughs> it is accurate. But <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, it's like when, when people are like, oh, have you met my friend? And you're like, what friend? And they're like, she's gay. <laughs> and you're like, maybe, but also... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I met this other like gay person. So like, if you want to like hook up with Do them, you I'm gonna like and, have and it's just me. like <laughs> it's really weird for you to think that I will be super into the one other gay person you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and that's 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 what it reminds me of exactly. Sarah, you hit the nail on the head, and 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 I love that she's young and she gets to be free. And and there seems to be a piece here that is about polyamory and and maybe not in like a the specific way we mean it right now mm-hmm. but she's expected to have a plurality of loves the narrative says that like yeah brunhild really loved this guy and like will she end up with him like who knows and obviously frigga loves everybody mm-hmm. and that's that's beautiful there isn't a need for it to be like the one coupling that matters and hey mm-hmm. listen i will ship with the best of them i was i'm not gonna say i wasn't <laughs> shipping the whole time i was in my mind it was turning into like a big polycule <laughs> and it was like amazing but i was like adis isn't old enough to be in the polycule yet you know i want to read that fan fiction <laughs> okay i'm on it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i just i really appreciated that i appreciated the way that that queer love did not mean queer sex. I appreciated the way queer love did not mean 
a single queer relationship. It also mm-hmm. meant resistance. It also meant community. It also mm-hmm. meant mm-hmm. fighting people who enslave other people. Mm-hmm. And that is is the message of what queer love means to me. I got myself all emotional. I'm going to cry. <laughs> so no, I just, I was totally in love with Heathen for that fact. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. Um, and I, it, may, it maybe wasn't something that I knew at the time when I was writing it, but definitely something I've come to like understand is that so much of, about like queer love is about kind of smashing those norms of, you know, this is, this is the way you do love. You get men and women get married, have babies, and they, you know, spend 40 years together and then one of them dies of a heart attack. That's love, right? Um, and, you know, queer people are like, no, that's not what it has to be. It could be, you know, whatever it needs to be. You know, it could be, it could be two women, it could be men it could be like multiple people could be they's and them's you have no idea you know um that's definitely something like now that I think is is very clear in my mind and maybe it was only subconscious when I was working on heathen but I'm glad that that like comes through so that's that's good to know (laughs) yeah I'm obsessed so (laughs) there you have it Yeah, I also was like, I, I read in an interview that you were like, listen, I couldn't put Loki on the page because I was not about to get sued by Marvel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought that was pretty hilarious. Yeah. But I loved that you also were working in this this universe of, you know, Norse mythology where we were familiar with some things, but then there were lots of things that were new. And I was curious how you decided what to make, what to draw from the the sort of mythos and like what you wanted to add. Um, it was just a matter of like literally like Wikipedia, North Norse mythology, learning all the characters that I could, all of the, the the key figures and all the little fringe ones, and just picking out the ones that were interesting to me. Not much more complicated than that, except that I knew Odin needed to be there, Brynhild needed to be there, and Freya had to be there. Uh, the rest were were ancillary, I guess. You know, until I I could discover a way that their their role could be more specific to the story. Which it worked out. I think it was it was good to keep it like a limited cast in general. Totally agreed. I, I think it really works. The other piece that I think is great about this, uh, about Heathen, is so many talking animals. Like, I love talking <laughs> animals. I know they're not everybody's cup of tea, but they are extremely my cup of tea. Why were you like, the animals must talk? They must say profound philosophical things. Because they do. Yeah, I mean, that was just another, you know, there was just an interesting thing that I learned about Norse mythology, about like the the whites and stuff, uh, just this idea that there can just be these animal kind of spiritual creatures who, you know, just live amongst us. And they're just they're just other creatures out there doing their thing. And they happen to be immortal. And maybe they could talk. I don't know. <laughs> I just I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. <laughs> Sarah, that uh, was so funny. I know. That, that I'm is being interesting, funny. bro. <laughs> yeah. I just like me with like Marge holding up the potato. I'm like, I just think they're neat. <laughs> oh my God. That's, that's that. Here's a quick question for you How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's that noise? Oh, it's Ghost Rider. <laughs> your favorite and mine. <laughs> And then there's a bunch of fire everywhere, flaming skull head, chains, leather jacket, all kinds of cool stuff. So I love Ghost Rider. And anybody who's been listening to this pod, followed me on Twitter, or talked to me in real life probably knows that I love Ghost Rider a lot. And I'll tell you about it. Actually, I will tell you about it on patreon.com slash bitches on comics because I do a somewhat frequent Ghost Rider Corner. And Ghost Rider Corner is where I talk about my fave and hopefully yours, Ghost Rider. You know, from patreon.com slash bitches on comics. I've been biding my time because I love hearing about Heathen. I could probably talk about this comic much, much longer. Um, But (laughs) I never realized that you did a zine about Black (laughs) Phillip. Oh, yes, I did. (laughs) A fanzine, Playdate with the Devil. Mm -hmm. This is amazing. I have never seen anything like this. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) What made you want to do a fanzine specifically about our friend... <laughs> Black Phillip. Um, well, I, you know, I love that movie. I love The Witch. I read this article for the life of me. I wouldn't be able to find it or, or tell you where I saw it, but it was um, basically like Satanists were talking about how that movie was like the perfect Satanist like allegory. If you haven't seen The Witch, sorry, here's some spoilers. There's this family that kind of like are destroying themselves from within with their paranoia, their superstitions and stuff, um, you know, turning on one another. Um, especially turning on their their daughter, who is just, you know, living her life, growing up and becoming a woman, something she can't help but to do. And then at the end of it, once they've all turned on each other and ruined themselves, the devil's like, hey, do you want to you want to come hang out with me? <laughs> and I was just like, that's amazing. <laughs> I just thought it was it was incredible. So I just I just imagined like a little microcosm of that where the little goat is just going around and just kind of doing that with all sorts of people. He just finds somebody who's like, hey, you want to come with me? <laughs> let's, have a, let's have a nice little day. <laughs> that It's my favorite thing ever. Is it still available? There's digital copies available on my Gumroad store, uh, altarisi.gumroad.com, I think. Um, and I have print copies that I occasionally sell when I have enough of them. I might be right, out right now. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. I'm going to have to check it out. I love the pitch. I think that maybe Black Phillip has a fandom, right? (laughs) I think so, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
there has to be people who are just diehard into Black Phillip more than just present company. <laughs> uh, so I was also curious because you've done so much work on covers. Like you've done so many, like the covers of so many books that are really great books. And you've worked with a lot of people like uh, Vita and, you know, Erica Schultz and like a lot of people who we've actually had on the podcast before. So I'm just kind of curious to hear about it because we haven't had a lot of people, I don't think, that specifically have done so much work on covers. So what is the process a little bit like? Like, do you read the script beforehand or like how, how does covers usually work? Uh, usually for me, you know, uh, most of the cover work I get is just through friends or people that have seen my work online or whatever. But, uh, yeah, they'll usually, they'll send me like a little sample of the comic. If they, if they have a full issue, they'll usually send me that or just like a handful of pages enough that I like get the idea. And then we just discuss ideas. If they have any, if they don't, then I just sort of riff on it. I come up with my own ideas. I'll send them a few sketches and then, and then we go from there. I like doing covers. I like the design aspect of it, trying to trying to create an eye-catching kind of illustration that will hopefully sell people a comic without having to, like, flip it open. Um, I kind of wish I got to do more of it. We'll see. Hopefully more. <laughs> yeah, hopefully more because your covers are really great. I'm just thinking about the covers of Heathen and how every single one of them, I'm like, yeah, I'll buy that comic for sure. <laughs> like, that looks awesome. Nice. <laughs> I did like my like original heathen covers where I kind of did like this red background and I just focused on one character at a time. And I feel like I've kind of like taken that idea and applied it to a lot of different projects, um, hopefully with a little bit more creativity. But uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely something I want to like flex, flex my uh, wings <laughs> on in the future. <laughs> I hope you get to because they all look great. Thank you. But what is your background? Because I noticed that you've put out so many zines. I love zines. I believe I was making zines before I was making just about anything <laughs> else in my life. So I'm just curious how you came into making zines and why it's a medium that continues to appeal to you. Let's see. Well, before I started work on Heathen, I got to do, or I had to do, a little short comic for this like online comics class that I took. It was on like Canvas or something. It was free. And uh, we read a bunch of comics during the class. And then at the end of it, everybody just made a little short comic, six pages or whatever. And I made one, uh, which is Girls Don't Like Dinosaurs, which is free on my website, altrici.gumroad.com. Girls Don't Like Dinosaurs. That was the first comic I ever like did, like writing art, lettering, start to finish all by myself. And it's free for everybody. But that like practice was was kind of really like fundamental, I felt like. So anytime I found myself just kind of really, really, really interested in a subject, something that probably isn't like enough material to like commit to a full like series or, or graphic novel or whatever, or it's just something I just need to get out of my system, like short term, then I'll let myself obsess over it and, and do a short comic. Um, I try to stick to like eight pages or whatever and just literally no off, like nothing's like off limits for those. Just whatever is interesting to me. I'm going to like sit down and obsess over it until I have produced something <laughs> at the end of it. Uh, and it's, it's been a lot of fun. And I, and I really, really hope that I can get back to making a lot more of those. Cause I have a million ideas for zines. Have you done a lot of any kind of zine fests or anything along those lines, or is it mostly uh, online that you sell zines? Uh, mostly just online. I've got to do like a, a local one a couple of years ago. Um, but in general, I don't, I don't like make it out to conventions and stuff. So mostly just selling those online. 
Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And that's something that is not just valid, but it's how a ton of people are doing it now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, zine fests are really fun. So that's always like a, why I ask that question is because it's like whenever I go, I'm just like, it's usually just a bunch of queer kids who are like mm-hmm. super nice to me because I made queer zines or something. So I'm just <laughs> like, this is great. Like everybody is so nice. And <laughs> it's like a nice, nice little like break from the world or something, you know? Yeah. I was just going to say, I got to go to a Comic-Con in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, there were a bunch of, like, students there on one of the days, and they had all, I think, been in, like, a zine-making class because they were walking around with their little paper folded-up folded zines and just, like, trading them with people. And I got, like, 12 of those. And I was like, yes, I'm so excited to get so many little zines. People are so creative with those, and it, it really, like, I think is is the best expression of what the medium can do. Um, especially because you're limited in such a small amount of pages. It's just like, whatever you have to say, like, make it count, you know? I love them. Mm -hmm. And also, yeah, just kind of, it's all you, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. most of the time, there's some collaborative zines, obviously. But for the most part, people are going, hey, this is just the thing that I made, and it doesn't have to go through a bunch of editors and, Mm -hmm. you know, all of the things. I have a friend who teaches, actually probably more than one friend, (laughs) now that I think about it, that teaches making zines to Mm -hmm. kids. And whenever they pull out the zine collection to, like, flip through and just show me what the kids came up with, is like possibly one of the best experiences of my life every mm-hmm. single time because it's just like oh my god they're so good Can, then it's a whole thing now like zine artists you know are also published and all of that stuff I think probably whenever I was first starting zines it was still kind of niche where mm-hmm. people would be like do you pronounce it zines <laughs> <laughs> Um, But it's kind of changed since then and become a lot more mainstream. And I love how you're talking about doing it, where it's just like you do it whenever you have a specific interest that you don't really want to go through a whole publishing process around. (laughs) And you sell it online. And that's amazing. Like as somebody who like grew up like reading a lot of like punk zines and paper zines and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, and you find them (laughs) in weird places and, (laughs) you know, all of that kind of stuff. Like I think it's so cool how zines have evolved evolved over time and how they continue to evolve so that like there's so many people who make them you know mm-hmm. yeah absolutely ah, zines well, well zines. and while we're on the topic of zines you have a bunch of cool ones in your gum road and on your website yeah so you mm-hmm. talked about girls don't like dinosaurs i almost introduced you as natasha saurus rex <laughs> uh, but then i was like no. too silly <laughs> Or not silly enough, TBD. <laughs> uh, that is such a sweet and fun comic. So that's your very first sequential comic you've done? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I so guess that, some people just get to be extremely talented. Well, that would have been like probably like a, maybe a year or so after college. So I was like fresh. It was like the peak of my game. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Maybe one of the peaks. Maybe an early peak. I think there are peaks ahead. Um, but another one is the Anarchist Coloring Book, which yeah. is so much fun. I particularly laughed out loud at your disclaimer at the end, which was obviously smart. <laughs> but um, so for those of you who haven't checked it out, oh my gosh, go buy the Anarchist Coloring Book. It's very cool. It's like these anthropomorphic badass anarchists who are just like under slogans and like eat the rich and like no one's gonna help you but you you know man I'm obsessed with it I love it it's so much fun what you know is that one of those ideas you were talking about that was like kind of like a pebble in your shoe you just like Mm -hmm. had to get it out for sure. Um, I, I uh, started drawing those those characters or at least versions of them 
probably right after the 2016 election, which, you know, was kind of a moment for a lot of us. Uh, <laughs> and they slowly kind of evolved. I, I, I thought in my head that I was going to do some kind of like story with them. I was going to write them a, a little short comic, but like the more I got into it, the more I was like, well, am I going to be like, you know, I was like, they're going to be anarchists and I want them to, you know, have this kind of broad sort of ideology, but I didn't want to like, I didn't want to like make any prescriptions. Like this is what you have to do or whatever, or this is like, you know, this is the right way to do this. Mm. I wanted it to be more, more of like a community thing. Right. So that's why I've, I've made it a printable thing that you can, you can take and you can make as many copies as you want. I don't care as many as you want. I don't have copyright on these. They're free domain for the world. Um, color them however you want. You can edit them, uh, plaster them all over the side of city buildings. Don't, don't do that. I didn't say that. That's illegal. <laughs> no one said that. That didn't happen. Nobody said that. And then I, you know, hope to keep making like more illustrations, uh, just to, just to talk about the ideals of anarchism, because I, I just, you know, found myself getting like more and more like interested in it. Like you said, it's just another little brainworm, another little pebble in my shoe, a thing I needed, I needed to explore a little bit more. And I, I always explore topics best if I, if I get to draw them. So mm. that's, that's mm. what I did. Yeah, it's lovely. I mean, for me, I even just, you know, read through it as a another zine. I haven't mm -hmm. printed it, though I might. And I just found it really inspiring. I think there's so much misunderstanding of what anarchy is. And mm -hmm. so when you share a book like that, that is humanizing, even like through an anthropomorphic way, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. it, it breaks down those sort of assumptions we have about what anarchy really means. I, right. Uh, frequently can be found ranting about <laughs> what anarchy actually is listen, when people <laughs> I'm like listen it's self governing and people are like I don't get it and I'm like that's the point and the problem and they're like well I'm gonna go talk to someone else at this party who's not yelling at me about anarchy <laughs> I'm like okay I'm gonna now I'm gonna have the coloring book instead to hand to people and I'll be like here's there a soft go. landing yeah. Um, when you're done coloring this and contemplating it, come back to me and we can discuss. We can discuss. Um, I'll be everyone's like tutor out in the world, anarchy tutor. <laughs> uh, yeah, another zine that I just, I thought was really evocative is Brothers Keeper. And so mm -hmm. this is one of you, this is the comic where you, you talked about wanting to talk about guns in the U.S., but the last thing you wanted to do was draw a bunch of guns. So instead you drew dinosaurs yeah and it is such an incredible commentary slash satire and i'm curious how do you think the dinosaurs ended up functioning in the comic and and are you happy with how that came across um i think it, i think it came across pretty well um you know for me it wasn't just about like you know a, a gun per se but really gun culture this kind of um toxic masculine society that's that's raising boys to be violent even if they're not explicitly saying that just all of these little things that kind of build up through these boys life kind of leads them to this inevitable conclusion where one of them ends up being you know a full-blown white supremacist terrorist and the other ends up being um you know an armed agent of the state and you know you might you might be tempted to to walk away from it thinking that you know one of them ended up good and one of them ended up bad but if you pay a little closer attention you might see that they're they're like two sides of the same coin almost 
and the thing about gun violence is that I don't get it. Like I look at guns and I'm like, I don't see what's so interesting about that. I don't understand why people are obsessed with them. Like they're just scary and dangerous. Right. So I had to think about something that was scary and dangerous to me, but I also thought was cool. And so it was kind of a natural conclusion that I would have to draw dinosaurs. So and I was like, and I could do that. I could draw dinosaurs as many times as I have to uh, <laughs> in many as I need. <laughs> I feel like uh, drawing dinosaurs is one of your your passions. For sure. Yeah, I mean, it just works so well in Brothers Keeper. I was, like, not sure what I was going to read. I was like, okay, so, like, are they holding little dinosaurs? Which would have been hilarious <laughs> and probably not gotten your point across the same way. Might have been too silly. <laughs> too silly. But it was really harrowing. And as you say, you know, you get to the end and it's just, like, heartbreaking. The the way that the, you know, one of the protagonists ends up feeling about the dinosaur and and... One of the things I love is when there's sort of a layered narrative happening, right? Because we know it's about dinosaurs, but we also know it's about gun culture. Exactly. And so there's just this, this like, you know, that last panel just, whew, it cut me deep. <laughs> I thought it was amazing. And, and I just am really, really grateful I read it. And I can't believe, like, you know, all these things were on your gum road for, like, you know, a song. So everybody <laughs> should go check them out. Uh, and then the last one I just have to from the zine that I just like, we have to talk about because I think it's going to open us up into another conversation that I want to hear your thoughts on is your Oksana paper doll slash fanzine, <laughs> which is, uh, I can't remember what you said, like the dress up assassin, something like that yeah. is like the, the <laughs> title. It's freaking hysterical. So obviously this is, this is a villanelle from Killing Eve. Yeah. So, uh, okay, why did you need to make a paper doll from Killing Eve? <laughs> and do you also love Killing Eve? Tell me everything. Of course. Yeah, that was that was the reason. I I, I saw people talking about it online forever. And they're just like, you got to watch a show. You're going to love it. You need to watch a show. And I finally was like, okay, I, I will sit down and I will read it. Or I will sit down and watch it. I haven't read the books yet. I've heard they're good, but I, I haven't checked them out yet. But no, I got obsessed with the show. Like immediately, I was immediately hooked. Uh, Villanelle is such a fascinating character you know, that female assassin who is, she's hard to describe, right? She's just like this little kind of manic, uh, wild, uh, childish even, but like weird and and funny and sexy and dangerous, like just this fireball of a character. Um, and then you pair her up with someone who is just so like magnanimous and like awesome as Sandra Oh. <laughs> and you just, it's an amazing combo. I love that show. But this was probably the first time I got interested in fashion, like in like as a subject on like overall, uh, just all her different outfits and the way she just sort of like plays up this kind of glamorous sort of facade on top of her very like broken, weird self. Um, it was just really interesting to me. And I just I was like, I need to like see all of her outfits and I just need to be able to like swap them out. And I thought, you know, how fun would it be if, I, if you could just make a little like a little fashion paper doll kind of thing? Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it just kind of stuck in my brain. And I was like, I got to do it now. I have to do it because I thought that I could do it. Now I have to. <laughs> You're like, well, you know what? The decision's been made. I thought of it and now it has to happen. Brain decided uh, for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's interesting too when we think about Villanelle and, and um, I, this is the connection my brain is making with Adis is, you know, Adis wears nothing as her armor. Mm -hmm. And then for Villanelle, right? Like fashion is a form of her armor. Mm -hmm. When we see her in that that uh those couple of episodes where she's stuck in that person's house yes. and she has no access to her fashion, she has mm -hmm. no access to like 
you know, control how she presents in the world. Mm -hmm. It is such a a vulnerability that we don't see in Oksana outside of that moment. And so I think it's so... So interesting the way that's paralleling, even though like, you know, they're clearly came from very different places, but it does seem to be there's something about armor and, uh, you know, girding oneself for battle or mm-hmm. not. And, and you know, how that defines a character somewhere in here. Yeah. But one of my favorite moments is like, I think it's either like the first or second episode where she's like, um, they're taking Oksana to be like assessed by like the, you know, whatever this is, like assassins, a psychologist dude or whatever. Um and she puts on that like super frilly pink dress and she just kind of like looks at her handler guy and she just kind of gives him a look like, look at me. Did, are you impressed? <laughs> and I'm just like, it's such a funny like moment to me, but it also is, it just tells you so much about the character that there's something super immature about her, but it's, it's really interesting. I, I, I like the, what they do with, with all the, the outfits. Yeah, me too, me too. I think that that show's legit. I don't mm-hmm. think I've seen the most recent season, so now I'm like, oh shit, maybe I'll go do that tonight. I think there's three. Uh, I think they're, the yeah. fourth one's coming out soon. Yeah, I believe so. The last one. Oh. <laughs> yeah, very exciting, very mm-hmm. sad. So the only the only other thing I had, and, and Sarah, I don't know what else is on, on your docket, but I know that in this year, in 2021, you had a short comic in Women of Marvel come out. Mm-hmm. And this is, oh my God, it's so cute. Uh, you know, Mystique is like on an archaeological dig, kind of. And then Rogue shows up like on the school trip. And then it's just like mom-daughter feels. Oh my God, I can't even. It was so cute. I was like, I'm going to die. I'm going to physically die from how adorable every line in this is. And I'm curious, were you, you know, did you get to choose who you wrote about? And what made you want to tell a story about you know, this mother-daughter combo? Uh, yes, we did get to choose. There were, like, a few characters that had already been, like, picked uh, or claimed, so and they were off limits. But in general, you know, I had my pick of Marvel women, and I, you know, have always loved X-Men movies. You know, I was, I grew up on the those original three X-Men movies, probably all-time favorites. Uh, and, you know, Mystique is such a fascinating character in there. But then, you know, when you read the comics, like, there's so much more to her than, you know, what the movies were able to, like, give us. So uh, I started, like, reading more about her backstory and, like, finding some of those older older issues where, like, her and Rogue have, like, this whole uh, dynamic between them that's really, like, kind of fascinating. And also just, I don't, you're, you're right. It's, like, it's just, like, fun to, like, explore her being this kind of mischievous troublemaker and her daughter just trying to, like, you know, resist her, like, just, like, get away from me. Leave me alone, Mom. <laughs> like, I'm trying to be a good person. You're trying to recruit me from evil. No, no, get away. <laughs> I don't know. I just think that's super interesting. <laughs> and so cute. Like, it's really so cute, yeah. cute. And then I got my choice of settings, you know. I was like, I got I to gotta fit some dinosaurs into this story somehow. If I, this is my one chance to write a Marvel story, I'm going to put some dinosaurs in it. Um, and I And I looked up. Uh, if there were like dinosaur characters from Marvel and I read about Stegron and I was like, yes, this is it. This is perfect. Done and done. I will be including him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, dinosaurs seems to be a a, like continuous thread in your work. And I know that I read in an interview and I couldn't tell you which one that part of the root of that is seeing Jurassic Park when you Mm -hmm. were really young. And I'm curious, like, how old were you when you saw it? I was... Probably six, yeah. Six. Okay, okay. I think we were, like, around the same age. Mm-hmm. And it, to me, is, like, such a... Like, when I think of, like, what's the best film? 
<laughs> I'm not saying that I think I'm right, but Jurassic Park always comes to mind because I'm like, that shit it's scared me so much. It was so thrilling. Samuel L. Jackson is hilarious in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Newman is also hilarious in it. Like, gotta gotta love that movie. But uh, A, what's your favorite part? B, do you like the sequels? Uh, my favorite part is the the first time that they see the Brachiosaurus when they step out and they they like look up and they're all in awe. Like it makes me cry like every single time. Like, it's such a well like filmed scene and like the music wells up and they just get this sense of like wonder and awe. And I'm like, oh, just like gives me chills every time. I'm like, these people have been studying dinosaurs their whole life and now they get to see them. <laughs> you know, it just like <laughs> it's really emotional. It's so emotional. It's so good. Uh, and then you know they they slide you into the horror so it's just like oh here we go um and uh the sequels i love the sequels the original like two and three like lost world and and jurassic park three i love those movies like i know people are on the like hate train for jurassic park three but it's like a bazillion times better than either of the jurassic world movies i would say anyway don't get me started about the Jurassic World movies. We'd be talking for like another hour about how much <laughs> like those movies. So we'll have you back for that conversation because yeah. obviously. I do love to hate those movies though. So it's it's a, <laughs> it's a balance, you know. <laughs> I spend a lot of time being like, really? Really? <laughs> this is our best female character now? Where's Laura Dern? Where's Laura Where's fucking Dern? Where's Laura Dern? <laughs> that's, that's me the whole time. I imagine Sarah's also doing the same thing. But Sarah's also always like, where's Laura Dern right now? That's like just a general question on my mind. (laughs) We gotta know. Is she okay? What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't heard from her. Just looking out. Lesbians love Laura Dern. And I love that about lesbians. Don't know how to not. Yeah. It's just like, oh yeah, that was part of the handbook Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) that they give out. Oh my god, you're killing me. Okay, I also love all three of them. Is the is the third one the one with the pterodactyls and William yes. H. Macy? Yes, 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 oh. yes, yes. Tales pterodactyls. Are- oh, Terleone! Oh, Terleone and William H. Macy. They're perfect in that movie. I love them. They have perfect. So much, so much charm to them. Absolutely. <laughs> and like, I'm sorry, pterodactyls are fucking terrifying. They are. <laughs> oh my god. So like when they're like they're jumping between those like scaffoldings and you're like jump and then fucking pterodactyls like <laughs> delicious. There's all this fog and you can't like see the ceiling and then it clears away and you're like oh no we're in a cage. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. Oh my god. Good stuff. Well, you know what? Vindication. <laughs> I feel much better knowing that you also liked the third one. <laughs> Sarah, did you have any other questions? You know what? I don't, except for, so what's coming up? What's coming up for me? Um, I have a uh, new graphic novel that I am signing contracts for right now. It's called Wildflowers. I probably can't tell you too much more about it. We're still in the process of hammering out the details. Um, but hopefully that will be, I'll start work on that pretty soon. Um, and then other than that, I'm kind of taking a little bit of a hiatus uh, to hopefully get my hand fixed. Um, if anybody doesn't know, I've been dealing with some pretty severe hand pains for the last couple of years. And uh, I just set up a GoFundMe. The link is on my Twitter and on my Instagram. If you guys are willing and able, no pressure, 100% no pressure. Um, uh, yeah, that would be that would be great if you could help me out with that. Get my hand fixed and I can draw again. Yay! <laughs> This is the future that liberals want. <laughs> like, I want to see more yes. comics drawn. 
I want to make more. I have so many more I want to make. <laughs> we will absolutely yeah. share the GoFundMe in our show notes, as well as sharing your Patreon and your Gumroad. Uh, do you want to tease anything about your Patreon? The Patreon is, I'm not sure what is going to happen with the future of that. Uh, it's its kind of dependent on on how things go with my hands and uh, how soon I can I can get back into making zines. Um, kind of up in the air right now. So you don't, no pressure to, to pledge to that because I'm not sure how much longer I'll have it, have it around. We'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Patreon's a tricky one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then where can people find you on social media? I am on Twitter at Alterici, A-L-T-E-R-I-C-I. And on Instagram at Alterici underscore art. Uh, those are the two places. <laughs> Fantastic. And again, if you didn't have your pen out, we will uh, include that in the show notes. So you can go follow Natasha and support all of her amazing projects. Tasha, it has been a ding-dang delight to talk to you today. I really appreciate your time, your energy, your enthusiasm for all things queer and and femme and, uh, you know, honestly, dinosaurs, which uh, in Jurassic Park, they're all ladies. So, you know, it's feminism. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, thank you so much, Sarah. I appreciate you. You are, as always, perfect. Kate, Mm -hmm. thanks for editing our sound. You're also perfect. Listeners, you're the most perfectest of all. We love you. Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at at BitchesOnComics and on Instagram at at BitchesOnComics. Our website is, brace yourself, BitchesOnComics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes. And we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm Essie Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at Essie underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. 
and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.